0: Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, And on today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about taxes, but this is something you want to hear about because nobody likes to pay taxes, especially more than you have to. And when it comes to the sale of real estate or businesses, if you're a real estate investor or a business owner, at some point in time, you're going to want to sell or trade your business or your real estate. And at that point, it becomes a bit of a struggle because you're going to be forced to pay capital gains tax on those assets that you sell. Well, most of us are familiar with the 1031 exchange and that's not what this episode is about. But whether you're familiar with it or not, this is something that you should learn more about and there are other options out there as you're going to learn today. So the problem with a 1031 exchange is first and foremost, you're tied to a timeline. You have 45 days to identify your properties that you want to trade or purchase. And the second thing is you have 100, only 180 days to close on them. So it's sometimes a bit of a struggle for investors you know, feeling pressured or rushed or trapped and forced to make quick decisions because of those rules and regulations around that tax-deferred exchange. And it's only one option that has limited flexibility. But what if you can do a tax-deferred sale and have complete control over those funds to do almost anything you want and stretch out the payment cycle for those funds? So, I don't want to steal our guest's thunder. I don't want to get too deep into it. We're going to bring them on here in just a second. But first, a quick word about our sponsor. No one anticipates litigation, just as no one anticipates a car accident. Both just happen as part of life. And that means that asset protection is very necessary, but it can also be very affordable. Corporate Direct has protected literally thousands of clients over 30 years. And Corporate Direct, I'm proud to say, is one of our new sponsors. Corporate Direct is owned by author and attorney Garrett Sutton, who has written the bestsellers Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. And one thing I'll add is that Wyoming LLCs offer excellent asset protection, offer great privacy and great value. Wyoming LLCs are excellent parents for your other asset holding LLCs that you have in other states. And that's exactly how I have my asset protection plan set up. So it's critically important to have asset protection to protect yourself. Visit CorporateDirect.com for more information, or you can call them at 800-600-1760 for a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporation specialist. And if you mention this show, the Passive Real Estate Investing Show, receive $100 off every LLC or corporation you form. Again, visit CorporateDirect.com for more information, or call Corporate Direct at 800-600-1760 and mention this show. It's my pleasure to welcome Brett Swartz to the show. Brett is the president of Capital Gains Tax Solutions, LLC, located in Sacramento, California. And Brett provides trustee services to help real estate and business owners win over their capital gains tax and achieve liquidity and diversification with their funds so they can create and preserve more wealth. So, Brett, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Marco, for having me. It's it's my pleasure.
0: It's great having you on, Brett. Brett, you know, you have an interesting past and you have an interesting f- fit in this space, which most people don't know about. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do today and what your company does?
1: Yes, thank you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm president of Capital Gains Tax Solutions. I'm one of 13 exclusive trustees across the U.S. who provide capital gains tax deferral uh, education, in particular on the Deferred Sales Trust. Yeah, you know, The larger parent company I'm underneath is called the Estate Planning Team, and that's a team of about 1,100-plus professionals, a mix between CPAs, tax attorneys, trustees, real estate brokers, financial advisors, escrow officers, QI companies. And the sole focus is all working as a team to help each individual client or business professional grow their business to help their client defer capital gains tax and have options versus just maybe a 1031 or for a business owner who doesn't have any options, or a primary homeowner who runs out of that two fifty or five hundred thousand dollar exclusion.
0: So you you mentioned deferring capital gains. I mean, people really like to hear that because, you know, if they have real estate and they plan to sell now or in the near future or at any time in the future, they want to defer capital gains. I mean, the ideal is to eliminate that if you can, if it's legally possible but certainly defer capital gains taxes for as long as possible. And for some people, that may be indefinitely. And that's why so many people are attracted to a 1031 exchange. But, you know, let's start off with the most basic of questions here. You talk about deferred sales tax as a product or an item, a thing. So what is a DST or a deferred sales trust?
1: Yes, yes. Great question, Marco. Marco. We'll get to that in just 10 seconds here. So most investors, real estate, or business owners, they struggle with capital gains tax, kind of like what you were saying there, when they go to sell their assets. And we use the Deferred Sales Trust to help them gain freedom, liquidity, diversification with their funds so they can create and preserve more wealth. And we truly feel that having freedom and flexibility to sell when they want to and buy when they want to, all tax deferred, creates a significant competitive advantage for each client. And so a Deferred Sales Trust is simply an installment sale. And we use the tax law, IRC 453, to perform this deal, and it's a tax referral strategy as opposed to a 1031 exchange that only works for commercial real estate. So it's just an installment sale, and it's simply, if I'll give you an example. If Marco was looking to sell a deal for $5 million, and let's say you had a $1 million basis and you you had a $4 million gain, you have about a $1.5 million capital gains tax. I can come to Marco and say, Marco, hey, I want to buy your deal. Can I give you a million dollars down? Would you carry a note for $4 million? And you say, sure. Well, how much tax does Marco owe? Well, it depends on how much constructive receipt he's, he's received. In that scenario, he's received a million dollars as constructive receipt. So he'd owe tax on that amount, typically about 30 to 40%, depending on how much depreciation recapture is, is built into that as well. Instead, if I came to Marco and said, Marco, hey, can I, I'll buy your deal. Can I give you zero down? And you carry a note for five. Yeah, hypothetically, and you say yes because you don't want to pay any tax. You have zero constructive receipt because you receive zero down. So that's what we do. We will buy a property from a client at close of escrow through the deferred sales trust, and immediately sell it to the cash buyer who's lined up, who deposits the funds into the trust, therefore maintaining non-constructive receipt.
0: Okay. So that's a good commercial real estate example can that be used for smaller investors that are working with one to four unit properties or have a smaller portfolio? Maybe someone is liquidating some properties and they're thinking about doing a 1031 exchange. Can you give us an example of how that would work for more of the, I hate to call them mom and pop investors, but the smaller investor?
1: Absolutely. The the beauty of the deferred sales trust is it works for primary homeowners. It works for business owners who are selling. And in fact, those are probably two number one candidates that we feel the structure fits the best for because those folks have no option, again, if it's just a primary home or a business owner. Now, of course, a one to four unit investor can do a 1031 exchange as well. And it works the same way. We can do them with any of those deals. So um, does that answer the question or, or you say just give a couple of couple examples? I'll give you a couple of examples. So we're helping some folks right now of the Bay Area who are selling their primary homes and they've lived there. One particular person, we'll call her Carol, She's owned a property for 30 years. She bought it in the Fremont area for about $250,000, and she's selling it for $1.3 million. Now, she's single, and she, she's on a fixed income. She's retired from a company, and, and she feels a bit trapped. And she's trapped because she's, it's hard for her even to afford the rent down the street, but she has a lot of her equity cut, tied into her property. And so if she sells right now, her basis is somewhere around $500,000 with a 250 exclusion. In this scenario, if she sells at 1.3, she, she can over $300,000 in tax. And so now we can, at close of escrow, move all the funds into the Deferred Sales Trust, therefore deferring the tax and helping her to earn interest on that amount property. So the answer is yes, we can do it for all of those types of deals. Really anything that has capital gains tax, we can defer it.
0: Okay, so let me go off on a tangent for a moment. Many people listening to this, if not most everyone, understands what a 1031 exchange is. We've talked about it multiple times over the last three plus years on the show here. Maybe compare and contrast how a 1031 is to a, a deferred sales trust. How do these things compare? What's the similarities and differences?
1: Sure. Great question. Let's, let's start with the 1031 exchange. And my background too is in commercial real estate, helping my clients buy and sell apartment buildings. I started at Marcus and Millichap. So I've done lots of 1031 exchanges over the years. And I still do them, right? And I I like the 1031 for a lot of reasons. If you can find a deal that makes sense in a marketplace that's more of a buyer's market, then a 1031 is great. It has low fees. It's very well known. It's tried and true. But there are some challenges, too, with the 1031 exchange, which is part of what inspired me to start Capital Gains Tax Solutions because it just wasn't a good option for everybody at all times, especially as the baby boomer generation is getting older and older. And a lot of our clients and investors, they want to retire and be out of real estate or at least have another option. So the challenge with the 1031 exchange, first of all, must be equal or greater value. and also must be like kind. In comparison to the deferred sales trust, you can put it into stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and create more of a liquidity and diversification versus maybe being in one or two properties, especially for a lot of clients who are the mom and pops who maybe own one or two properties, have owned property for 20 or 30 years, maybe fully depreciate it. And they don't necessarily want to do a 1031. A lot of them know the 1031 exchange, but they're not necessarily comfortable with it because they haven't transacted in years and they don't like feeling pressured by the 45 deadline to identify and the 180-day deadline to close. And so a lot of our clients who choose the Deferred Sales Trust are tired of feeling pressured and rushed, forced to make 45 and 180-day decisions. Also, having to overpay for properties. Oftentimes, they'll buy properties... When otherwise they would not if it wasn't for the tax liability that's chasing them. And so, for those who don't want to overpay for a property, especially in today's environment, we have very low inventory and interest rates are going up. You have what's called, we call the candle burning at both ends. And the candle represents the return for the investor. But as interest rates go up, the candle burns on one end. And as values go up on the other end and inventory is even lower, the other candle, other side of the candle is going to burn. And so, you're seeing returns being smaller and smaller. So the 45-180 is the first challenge. The second one is the depreciation schedule travels with the upleg. So one of the number one reasons to own real estate is the depreciation, which offsets the income. Right. The challenge with the 1031 is if you own real estate for long enough, and if you've done ten, multiple 1031 exchanges over the years, that depreciation schedule travels with the uplake. It travels every time you move. And so eventually, unless you buy bigger and bigger properties and potentially take on more and more debt, you're going to become fully depreciated, which then you lose one of the top benefits of owning real estate. In comparison, the Deferred Sales Trust, what's unique about it, once the funds are there in the trust, you can direct it to an LLC, which can purchase property in partnership with you. And therefore, you're purchasing a brand new property at a brand new basis. So you get a brand new depreciation schedule, which is very powerful. The last one would be, we call it, I guess, the sell high, buy higher 180 days later. I guess they kind of tied this in the first point, but I just want to sure. reiterate that. Right now, we truly feel that it's not a good time to be a buyer. I mean, you can always find a deal in every marketplace, but right now, especially in California, it's very challenging to make sense of cap rates and returns on properties. So if you sell today, the challenge is 180 days from now, where's the market going to be? Again, the interest rates might be higher, coupled with values going up. So we call this the sell high today and buy higher 180 days later. And so the 1031 solves the tax deferral, which again is key here, but not the buy low, sell high problem. Our parents always taught us to sell high and buy low. 1031 is not friendly to our parents' advice here.
0: Right. Yeah, that was a great comparison between the two. And so that begs the question, when should one really use a 1031 over the deferred sales trust?
1: Well, the beautiful part about the deferred sales trust structure is there's flexibility, meaning... Our client can go for a 1031. We can close the Deferred Sales Trust at Closer of escrow or day 46 or day 181 of a failed 1031 exchange. So we encourage our clients to go look for deals and try to find deals. And if we can find you one, great. Buy that deal if it makes sense. But if the seller starts to um, dig their heels in on repairs and deferred maintenance that you may or may not have known until you get into the deal and they want to uh, not give a, you know, any kind of credit, at least you have a backup plan. Or if you can't find a deal big enough, you know, let's say you're selling a $1 million deal and you find the perfect $700,000 property and you have some extra boot left over, well, we can, we can take that boot and move it to the Deferred Sales Trust. The one we think that's probably the most likely for the Deferred Sales Trust candidates are those that are just kind of just tired of the toilets, trash, and liability. They want to trade that for time travel and relaxation. Again, back to the baby boomers, some stats that are pretty eye-opening are, according to the American Bankers Association, about $17 trillion of assets were passed from one generation to the next in the next 20 years. And this is the largest generation in the history of the planet known as the baby boomers. About 77 million are starting to retire in the U.S. alone. About 10,000 baby boomers will turn 65 every day. And again, they've made, a lot of them have made their wealth, and a lot of them are looking for ways to be done with either their business that they're managing, whether it be their real estate that they're managing, and they want to pass it on to their kids, but they don't want to get hammered with the 30 to 40% of capital gains tax on their gain. And so for those who want liquidity, those who want retirement, those who want diversification, these are some of the best reasons to use a deferred sales trust. And the, the last one would be just to be able to time the market, maybe for the more entrepreneurial investor who's looking just to buy low and sell high. We can sell and move the funds to the Deferred Sales Trust and immediately direct them to that LLC to buy a deal the next day, day 181, or five years from now. And so we actually have had clients do that in the past, where they sold their property at the peak in 07 and kind of felt like the market was pretty highly appreciated. They moved the funds into the Deferred Sales Trust. Five years later, this particular client, he was able to buy the property he sold at 60 cents on the dollar when it was foreclosed on from the person who bought it. And so all tax deferred through this Deferred Sales Trust partnership. And so that's the power of the Deferred Sales Trust.
0: So if there's an installment sale as part of the DST, the Deferred Sales Trust, how often does that installment payment have to happen? And who are the parties involved in that? I'm just trying to understand the components. Maybe if you can break down the parts of the Deferred Sales Trust so people can better understand what that looks like at a 30,000-foot level.
1: Absolutely. Great question. So who are the parties involved and how is the structure kind of set up and how are the funds directed? So there's an original client who's selling the property, the seller. There's the third party trustee, which is my company. And the client forms a deferred sales trust. And what happens is we're going to buy it from them for the price that they're planning on selling it to the buyer to begin with.
0: This is a, this is a paper transaction? Sorry to interrupt. This is a paper transaction?
1: Yeah, we're going, do it. we're going to do it at close of escrow. Yeah, at close of escrow, this is... um This is all going to happen kind of a simultaneous close. So imagine you had a buyer lined up for a deal. We'll use a $1 million example. And let's use a buyer who has all cash, or he can have a loan too. And he's going to buy the property and the seller is going to sell. Instead of sending the funds directly to the seller, and that way constructive receipt would be triggered, we're going to have the funds sent to the trust. And so it's all in one escrow, but it's like a simultaneous kind of closed. We're going to buy it from the seller for a million, the trust, and we're going to immediately sell it to the cash buyer. So the funds are going to be sitting there. So there's kind of three parties. There's the buyer. There's the tax attorney, I guess, who's forming the structure. I guess he'd be the fourth one. There's the financial advisor. There's the seller. And there's the trustee. I guess there'd be five there. But once the buyer buys the deal, he buys it the same way he would have before. He takes title. The same way he would, he's gone. So after the dust settles, the funds are sitting in the trust. The trustee, my company, we're overseeing it. We're making sure that the funds are invested based upon the client's intent for risk tolerance. They fill out a risk tolerance questionnaire. And based upon that, that's how the funds are invested by the financial advisor. And the trustee oversees that. The note typically is structured in a 10-year term, although they can cash out if they want to earlier and pay the tax or they can set the note term for a shorter period of time. At the end of the term, they can renew for another period of time. So typically our notes are for 10 years, but at the end of 10, they can renew for another 10, renew for another 10, and pass it on to their kids, all tax deferred until they take constructive receipt of the principal balance. The interest rates are based upon, again, their risk tolerance. Most of our notes pay or earn eight, but pay six and a half after fees to the client. And so does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, for the most part, I'm just following this through, and in the back of my mind, I'm comparing it to someone doing a 1031, because it's something I can use as a frame of reference. So let's just say I'm a client, I have a million dollars worth of property, or 500,000, whatever the number is, and I'm selling those, and I want to do a 1031. But instead of the 1031, I'm looking at the deferred sales trust. So we close escrow, funds go to the trust, my trust. And now I'm looking for replacement properties because I want to build up my portfolio. So I'm looking to leverage up. I don't have any limitation on the time it takes for me to identify those properties or close on those properties. Although, I guess, technically speaking, we have 10 years because the note is written for 10 years. So what happens over the next unidentified period of time, whether it's a month, six months, or a year? What is happening while I'm out there looking for the next deal or the next set of properties to acquire with the funds that I just received in the trust from the sale of my previous properties?
1: Good question. First thing to understand is this is not a 1031 exchange. This is a deferred sales trust. So the 1031 is based upon section 1031 of the the IRS tax code versus IRC 453. So there's separate tax codes here, which is installment note. Right. So we do not have to, buy any of the timing, or the identification process. And so we can buy whenever we want. So when the funds are sitting in the trust, they're invested based upon where the client wants the funds, based upon the risk tolerance questionnaire, and they're invested in stocks, bonds, mutual funds of their choosing. And it can be a very conservative portfolio. It can be more aggressive, but generally speaking, it's a pretty conservative portfolio that's giving them a return on the total amount. The next day, they can find a deal and they can direct up to 80% of the funds to a LLC to go buy a piece of real estate, all tax deferred. They structure it in a 90-10 split, generally speaking, or an 80-20 split as a partnership. And they own the property, they add the value, great, they go to sell it, they send the original amount back to the trust that was partnered with them, plus the upside return. And the rest of it, the 90% or the 80% goes back to the original Investor, or he can do another deferred sales trust with that and defer his gain on that property. So, does that answer the question? Hopefully, it does. Yeah, so
0: I have two questions based on what you just said. So, the 10% or the 20% that has to stay, I think you said in the trust? Yes. Why is that? 20%, right. Yeah, I didn't catch that.
1: Yeah, we have to maintain the integrity of the trust. Um, in order to do that, we need to have a reserve in the trust to service the note. So, this is an installment note. So, it is a contract that's going to pay. Back the client over a period of time, the amount they agreed to in the beginning. So, and again, they can renew that at any point. I mean, as long as they don't take principal balance, they don't owe the capital gains tax. But in order to make sure we're going to service the note properly, the tax attorney and the way we structure it, we maintain basically at least 20% liquidity or diversification inside the fund versus it being tied into a business or real estate. in order to make sure that we're able to service the note.
0: Got it. Okay. And so me as the client, in other words, the beneficiary of that trust, I'm getting monthly or quarterly payments from the trust through that note?
1: Correct. You kind of become the lender. And so you move from seller to lender, right? So just like if you owned a piece of property and you have a bank who's kind of your partner or lender on the deal, you have to send them. Right. send them a return based upon what the note states. So that's what they become. They become the lender and the deferred sales trust owes them a certain return based upon what was set up, what was agreed upon in the
0: beginning. Got it. Okay. And so those payments from the note that I'm receiving from my trust, are those interest only or is that an amortized payment where it's principal and interest?
1: Totally flexible. Totally flexible. So A lot of our clients will just take interest only, right? And they'll say, hey, whatever it produces after the fees, just pay me. That's fine. Okay. Some say, you know what? I don't actually need the income or want the income. Let's just let it compound on top of itself. Because if I take the income now, I'm going to owe ordinary income tax, right? And it could increase my tax bracket. So DST 2.0 would be for those who would say, you know, I don't need the income. Let it just compound. Let it just build up. And maybe in another couple of years, I can start drawing on that. And so totally, totally flexible.
0: Right. Okay. So this is interesting. Now, some people might be thinking, you know, this might sound a little too good to be true. And the reality is, is that most people haven't heard about this. And some people have, and they're just not familiar with how it works or the, the inner workings of how to implement it. But I mean, what would you say to someone who says or asks you the question, is this something that's legal?
1: Yes. Great questions. So how do we know it's legal? And how do you know if funds are protected? And It sounds too good to be true. So let's talk about all three of those that are usually a common group that we get asked. So how do we know it's legal? First of all, it's IRC 453. It's just an installment sale. Many of your clients probably know what a seller carryback deal is, or if they don't, their CPAs definitely do. And this goes back to the 1920s. So this is tried and true tax law in comparison to the 1031 exchange. It only goes back to really the 80s when it starts to really become popular and people knew about it. And you may have known the Trump tax plan that was recently passed. They threatened to take away the 1031 exchange, and they did limit it on some things. And who's to say another administration doesn't come in and take it away? So the good news is is we're not a 1031. We're IRC 453. The second thing is the Deferred Sales Trust, which is just a made-up name, proprietary, and it's with the estate planning team, and that's how we offer it. But we've been doing it for 22 years collectively. Over 14 IRS audits or 13 random IRS DST audits have taken place. All no change audits, not one single issue. There was a former review in '08, big review by the IRS. They really uh, dug into the structure and the clients and everything. Same thing, not one single issue. Also has been reviewed by FinRA, reviewed by national tax law firms as well. There's audit defense built into every deal. If for any reason, if you are audited with a deferred sales trust, our tax attorneys will defend at no additional charge for the life of the trust. So our tax attorney staying behind structure. How do you know your funds are protected? Well, let's answer that one. Well, first, we have 24-7 access to view the funds. They're also what's called a DACA account protection. It's a fancy way of saying extra protected. The funds are held at some of the largest banks in the world, TD Ameritrade, Bank of New York, Mellon, Charles Schwab. And the key thing is the funds only move with the client signature, the lender signature in this scenario. The trustee, I cannot take funds. I can't move the funds. I can view the funds. And my job is to oversee and ensure that the financial advisor is doing a great job managing the funds based upon the note and or the piece of real estate or business that the client has chose to direct the funds to is performing as well. Sound good to be true. And we always say, hey, just get to know us. You know, Consider our track record over 2,000 cases closed in 22 years. If you're interested to talk with clients in similar circumstances, we've helped veterinarians, we've helped dentists, we've helped people who are selling tech companies, of course, high-end primary homes, commercial real estate, CVS, apartment buildings, you name it, we've done it. Um, high-end artwork, this also applies to as well. So we say talk to our clients. And we connect you directly with them if you get far enough down the road with us. Our tax attorneys also identify each client case. But more than all of that, we encourage you and we actually want each individual client's legal counsel and CPA to sign our non-disclosure agreement, review the DST structure, and give their blessing before moving forward. We really see our role as the guide or a better way to put it is we're kind of like the nurse who's checking you in to the brain surgeon. And The brain surgeons are our tax attorneys and CPAs, and you have your own brain surgeons who are very smart in tax law, and we want them to get their blessing before you go under surgery. So before moving forward, we want to educate everybody. Our attorneys and us also, we don't get paid unless the DST case closes. So we provide all the education. We actually do a lot of the legal work if the client is really interested in what we're doing. But we'll only get paid if and when the client chooses to do the deal. Hopefully that answers the questions well for you, too.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, not to oversimplify this, but in my mind, I'm thinking that what a deferred sales trust is, and I'm saying this, I'm articulating this just to help some of the people listening to this who are still confused about it better understand it. It really sounds to me like it's the marriage of a trust. Which you know is a very common thing done thousands of times every day. It's a combination of a trust and an installment sale, where the installment sale is inside the trust, and that's what allows you to move the capital on a tax-free basis because the installment sale falls under an IRS code that allows you to defer the capital gains on it. Is that a kind of a crude but simple summary of it? Precisely. Okay.
1: Precisely. I think, I think you hit it right on the head.
0: Okay. Beautiful. Okay. So one last question here. We could probably discuss this for hours. And at the end of the day, I think if someone is listening to this and saying, hey, this sounds interesting. This might be something I could use today, tomorrow, or in the near future. I need to learn more and research it. We'll, we'll give out your contact information here shortly. But there's one question that I have on my mind here. And that is this. A lot of people who are doing 1031 exchanges are often selling a property or some properties and they're taking those capital gains and leveraging it up. In other words, they're buying more real estate. So they're putting more units under their belt. And often that involves financing. So they if they want to build their portfolio, they're going to have to get financing to leverage up and buy more property. So how are these funds dealt with from a lender's perspective? Are they liquid and is there going to be any problem with someone using the DST to get mortgage financing?
1: Banks consider them liquid funds and or if they're earning an interest, right? Some folks want to buy a primary home. One thing we cannot do is direct the funds to buy a primary home, okay? But the funds that are earned or the interest that's earned off of the total funds can be seen as ordinary income, which can help someone qualify for a home loan. So, yeah, it, they're seen as income, right? It's 1099 interest income, I guess, is a more technical way to put it. That's how it's reported on the tax return for the lender, 1099 interest income, and banks look at it very favorably.
0: Okay, so with the income part of it aside, just looking at the principle that you're going to use to put towards the purchase of more property, in other words, let's call that principle down payment money. Can I use that principle that's now in my deferred sales trust? Can I put that towards the purchase of more property as the down payments and then go yes. to a lender and yes. borrow? So, I mean, it sounds like I can put that money, whether it's 100000 or $500,000, whatever. If I have that money in my deferred sales trust, I theoretically can leverage that five to one if I borrow against it at 80% financing, I should be able to five times my portfolio size.
1: Correct. So let's walk through just a a sample. I think it's sometimes the easiest way to understand this. So let's say it's it's Marco's Deferred Sales Trust and it's a million dollars sitting there. And Marco, you as an individual want to partner. You you found a perfect $3 million deal. Let's say you just just want to put $800,000 down to buy this $3 million deal. What can you do? Well, you can go find that $800,000 from a friend or from Brett or from Joe or Jill or whoever, or you can just decide to partner with your trust. And so you partner with your trust, and you typically, a lot of our clients will do a 90-10 split, 90% to Marco as an individual who's the managing member of this LLC who's owning the property. And Marco, you're doing all the sweat equity. You are adding the value, and you're simply partnering with your trust. You direct the trust, and the trustee, I overlook the investment. I say, okay, does this look good? Okay, it looks like a decent return and a pretty uh, solid investment. The $800,000 will be sent to the LLC that you're the managing member of, and you buy that piece of property. And you, Marco, as an individual, may put zero in. Even though it's a 90-10 split with the trust, you may put zero in, and the down payment is just coming from a partner. So I guess the question would be, you: for the banks you go to now, how are you getting financing and how are you structuring the deals? And in this scenario, the Deferred Sales Trust just becomes another partner with you. So, for those investors or listeners on the call who say, "Look, you know what? real estate, I can't do it full time. I actually want to partner with, with a Marco, a partner with other syndication groups, we can direct the funds to their deals in the same way. It doesn't have to be Marco as an individual doing this. It could be a professional partner that you like and trust, and you want to direct the funds to them as well. Does that answer the question there?
0: Yes, so good. well, we've been going thirty two minutes here. I think we can probably wrap this up and the reason I say that is because I could probably ask you another 10-20 questions and we would go very long but I think at the end of the day someone who's listening to this and saying hey this is a good option for me again now or in the future they can certainly educate themselves on it and learn about it this is not something new it's been around for a long long time you've got a company you've been doing this for many years you talk about this all over the country and educate people all the time so there's a lot more information to be gathered so this is just good as a primer or maybe it's better than a primer. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about the deferred sales trust that I haven't asked you about?
1: Sure. No, absolutely. So I would just say to your listeners and to you, Marco, you know, for years we felt frustrated and pressured and trapped by capital gains taxes. We used to be tired. You know, we got tired of the 45-180 sprint and we truly feel that you don't have to feel trapped anymore. We have a tax strategy called deferred sales trust, which can help you through that and give you options. Options is really the best word for it, and flexibility, diversification, liquidity. We have a webinar every Friday, you know, where folks can kind of see this visually. I know a lot of what we talked about over conversation is tough to see until you right. kind of see the arrows and the numbers moving. So every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, you can um, no cost, everyone can join. We host a webinar to walk through and answer questions methodically. Also, if you have a live deal right now. We just want to make sure you contact us sooner rather than later. You know, we must do this either before close of escrow, especially if it's a business sale. Ideally, we do it before any contingencies have been removed. We add language into the purchase and sale agreement. Of course, for a primary home, there is no option. There is no option. And every single day, hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars of capital gains taxes is paid by owners of real estate and businesses that otherwise could be deferred and interest earned and the money invested into cash flow real estate. So just talk with us, get to know us. You you can go to our website, capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. That's all one word, capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. From there, you can enter your information and we can either schedule a call, you can join our webinar, or you can also go to our DST calculator as well, answer 12 questions and it'll give you a side-by-side comparison of either pay the tax or defer the tax. If you like what you see there, we can schedule a call with myself and our tax attorney financial advisor walk through the scenario, see if it works for you. And the next step would be just simply to close escrow and send the funds to the trust. So as a reminder, all of that is no cost to you. We only get paid if and when you decide to close the deal with us.
0: Okay. So that webinar is every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, and people can sign up for that at CapitalGainsTaxSolutions.com, right?
1: Correct. CapitalGainsTaxSolutions.com, all one word.
0: Awesome. Great.
1: You can also send us an email to at info at dot com if you want to just send us a direct email. Yep. Info at dot com. Okay.
0: Sure. Yeah. We'll put all that in the show notes as well so people can reference it. Excellent. Well, Brett, this has been very interesting. It's not something that people hear about very often or certainly talk about, but obviously it's out there and I'm sure a lot of people who are well-off or wealthy Are aware of this and use it so you don't know what you don't know but when you educate yourself and you learn about it all of a sudden a new world opens up to you so this is great
1: couldn't say better myself marco thank you so much for having me on
0: brett thanks for coming on and i appreciate it we'll talk soon
1: thanks bye